0: Hey, this is Alex. The Paper Team episode that you're about to listen to was recorded before the shelter in place order was put in effect in California. So some of the information is slightly outdated. You can get all the up to date information about COVID 19 for the state of California at covid19.ca.gov. And now, Paper Team. Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling, and I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore njwatson. And on this month's Paper Scraps, we'll be talking about episodic versus serialization, actor schedules, fellowship specs, and TV business news impacted by the coronavirus and the MBA negotiations. We will see. <laughs> Alright, let's begin our March paper scrap by some uh, Twitter mentions that we got.
1: Yeah, first up uh, is a tweet from JB June of Wildcats fame. Uh, and he said, uh, thanks for the shout out on this week's Paper Team episode, TV Calling in NJ Watson. I'm flattered to hear that I'm fantastic. I think is, we're going to end up in a, like a loop here where <laughs> yes. we shout him out for him shouting us out and then he shouts us out again. He just wants airtime. It's okay. Inception, uh, the shout out. But he also said the mixer was a blast. Thanks for hosting. I met some great people and some entertaining conversations. Can't wait for the next one.
0: Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for shouting us about our shout outs and then uh, probably and in, the, in the April and uh, <laughs> in June, uh, Paper Scraps will have uh, that loop that we keep wanting to have. Exactly.
1: <laughs> and as we said the other day, we are hoping
0: to do more of those mixers in the future, maybe even twice a year. So stay tuned for that. Mm-hmm. And we also got a shout out from uh, Elisa Rivas, who when someone, uh, I think it was Maggie Garol, tweeted about asking creatives, professional writers, directors, producers, what are your favorite industry-related podcasts? Please share below. Elisa kindly said, Paper Team Podcast. These two are fantastic hosts. Shout out to NJ Watson and TV Calling. Well, thank you so much, Elisa, for being not just a listener, but also a Patreon supporter. Yeah, we really appreciate that. So thank you again. And speaking of Patreon, let's do some of our monthly Patreon shout outs. So thank you so much to Jacob, Emma, Michelle, Marisha, and Jim Bond and Lonch, uh, or Lonk, or however I pronounce that. It's like a, a triptych. It's almost like a, a law firm name, right? Like <laughs> Jim
1: Bond and Lonk. That'd be great if if we have some entertainment lawyers supporting us, so I'm sure we could use you at some point. (laughs) But yes, thank you so much to all of those people for having joined the Patreon. Uh, We really appreciate your support. And good news, Alex. Emma, who emailed us a little while back about not being able to get into a Patreon, that was the Emma we just mentioned, so she made it. Wow.
0: Congratulations. She actually sent us a message on the Patreon group, and she said, Hey, thank you for reading out my email on the podcast, and thanks for the advice, because I tried another browser, and yay, it worked. I am finally a Patreon of the Paper Team Podcast. I found out a few weeks ago that I am a quarter-finalist in the Fresh Voices screenplay competition. I entered a spec script for Grace and Frankie called The Party. I have also written a couple pilots of my own, and now finally becoming a Patreon means I can send in samples in the hope that you might read a teaser slash some pages and give me much needed feedback. I am based in New Zealand, but the plan is to move to LA sometime this year. Thanks again for such a great podcast. Your interviews and advice have been invaluable to me in my journey to becoming a successful scriptwriter, or at least making a decent living out of it. Emma Power
1: say hi to Australia from just yell it across the ocean there. They're pretty close. I'm sure they can hear it, but uh, say hi to them
0: for me. That's fantastic. Kudos on being a quarter finalist and uh, being done writing all those scripts.
1: Yeah, that's a a big accomplishment. And that's cool that your script is in the running for the Fresh Voices screenplay competition. Funnily enough, that was actually the first writing competition I won when Mm. I started submitting my stuff way back in 2015 or 2016. So uh, good luck with that. So you're saying in five years, Emma is going to be in your seat? Maybe, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> i'll have to watch myself
0: <laughs> well on that note if you would like to subscribe to our patreon that is uh you can find that at ppt.com slash patreon that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n and uh, also you will get a guaranteed slot or at least be in the running for our guaranteed monthly paper teas slots uh, since Emma mentioned that we do get feedback on you guys' teasers so you can do that at ppt.com slash patreon and also we have some breaking news That's right. You may remember last year we sat down with all the decision makers of the big TV writing fellowships. Well, since it's a new year and there's been some updates, we will be doing that again with a dedicated update episode for the 2020 TV writing programs. That's right. We're going to be rolling it all
1: into one episode, doing some sort of 15 to 20 minute catch ups with each of the heads of the writing programs and basically getting all the updates on what has changed from last year and what's still the same.
0: Absolutely. And on that note, since uh, we are in March, you can now Submit yourself to the CBS writing program since their submissions are now open. We will hopefully be talking with them real soon. So stay tuned for that. All right, let's get talking about some uh, TV writing and uh, answering your own TV writing questions. Yeah, and the first one we have was on our Facebook group from
1: Andy Healy. And he asked, I have a question with the TV fellowships coming up with regards to spec scripts for existing shows. I wrote a spec script for Killing Eve that I'm really proud of and takes place as the opening episode for season two, which is the current season. But now that that whole season has run its course, is it still deemed fresh or should I write a new spec? I do have an idea for a cool take on how season three could kick off. But again, that is outside of the right within the current season purview. Any advice
0: is greatly appreciated. What are your thoughts on this, Alex? you the spec master. <laughs> I'm definitely not the spec master. I mean, that is actually a really interesting question because on some level, if you are writing a, an opening episode of a season, it could be somewhat evergreen in the context of, because it's a new season, it's a new theme, you're introducing new characters. Uh, my mind always goes back to Dexter, which every year in this premiere would introduce the sort of like the seasoned villain or the season theme. And that was what a lot of people uh, writing a uh, successful Dexter Specs were doing, which is essentially writing a version of that introduction or that setup. So I do feel on some level, you could maybe retweak that season to open and still it be evergreen, assuming obviously you have not submitted it to any of the programs that this would be the first time that you are doing it. That said, I mean, if you do have an awesome idea about the sort of the current season or at least uh, something about the season three, you should maybe flex those muscles and write that new spec. Ultimately, you know, it doesn't hurt you from uh, writing new samples and new scripts that's what this town is. All about. You're not gonna be relying on one script to get you through every single door, potentially, so it would only behoove you to be writing more and more.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you should be trying to get a fresh sample every year for the fellowships anyway, just because hopefully you have improved as a writer in that time. And the next thing that you write is going to be the best thing that you write. Obviously, give yourself some time to rewrite and and make it nice and polished. Don't kind of rush it in before the deadline. But I don't see any harm in writing a brand new one, especially if you have this great idea for the season three opener.
0: Absolutely. And I would also not dwell on the fact that, you know, the show may not be fresh enough or whatever for the fellowship, as long as they are on the list, you know, you should be good. And Killing Eve is popular enough that you will be read definitely. So just the fact that you are writing something that's akin to Killing Eve or like in the scope of Killing Eve with your pilot potentially, like just having that package with you will definitely move you forward. Now let's look at some Twitter threads that have caught our eyes, and the first one is a topic near and dear to my heart, on top of the specs, and that's the ongoing debate about episodic versus serialization. And we gotta give a shout out to Javi from uh, the Children of the New podcast, who did a great thread about sort of the battle, the current dichotomy between episodic versus serialized. Yeah, just to read a couple of highlights and some of the tweets that he put
1: out here on this thread, he says, the most visionary executives in TV today are, without a doubt, the ones who just gave Dick Wolf half a billion dollars to keep making Law & Order spinoffs at Chicago shows. They seem to be the only people alive who remember that not all TV shows need to be serialized novels. Some viewers really want an hour of television that only requires 60 minutes of investment. This is why it makes headlines that Friends and The Office leaving Netflix makes a difference to their business model. And he goes on to continue like that, but that's the broad topic of discussion.
0: Yeah, this topic we've actually covered a couple of times. The first time was during our Art of the TV episode that was PT20 and then we revisited uh, that particular dichotomy in PT95 with an episode all about writing episodic versus serialized and essentially sort of talking about the advantages and disadvantages of writing one or the other, which uh, format is better suited for your story, etc. Personally, I've also been on the record saying that I love sort of the blended format of having a macro uh, serialized storytelling while still telling a complete story within an episode. I often cite the example of The Leftovers, especially the second season, which really did an amazing job at blending that ongoing narrative arc. They were introducing a mystery at the top of the season and answered it at the end of the season and had that serialized element throughout those uh, 10 episodes, but still maintained that character of focus that something like Lost introduced and even Watchmen all All those three are obviously Damon Lindelof shows, but nonetheless, I feel like he's one of the better players currently on TV to really flex his muscles and really lean into the format of both episodic, but also serialized.
1: Absolutely. This is a topic that I'm also really passionate about and that I happen to agree completely with Javi on here is that, you know, I feel like uh, this episodic storytelling is a little bit of a lost art. It used to be all that was on TV. And then we've swung so hard in the other direction towards heavy serialization. You know, like he says in his later tweets, you know, everyone is honestly a little bit sick of having to watch four or five episodes before something gets good. Sometimes people just want a solid entertaining hour or half hour of television. I think that there's almost a dearth of that right now. And again, that's why you have these gigantic 10-season hard episodic comedies that are the bread and butter of each of these streaming networks. They're setting them based around Friends, The Office, all of that kind of thing, because they are so long-running and beloved by people, and they can tune in and just watch them for fun.
0: Yeah, and also Javi says uh, television is very flexible. That flexibility was ignored for too long a time in the name of of the safe and homogenous, and there's room for a lot more now, and that's uh, very accurate and on point to what's going on where, I mean, because the pendulum has swung to the other direction, now we have those long narratives that are basically, you know, every episode is a chapter in a book, and you can't really pick up a book and just read chapter 10 without really having read a chapters 1 through 9. Personally, I am continuously lost, or often lost, when I have to digest 10, 20, 50 hours of this ongoing narrative, as opposed to something that I could just sit down and relax after a longer day of work and just watch a couple episodes without reminding me, oh, wait, what's the baggage of like those 50 episodes of storytelling that happened before that? Not to say serialization is bad, uh, it has its pros and cons, but I just feel like now the panel has swung to the other direction so much that it's all sort of part of this chapter narrative where it's all a book or it's all this like ongoing narrative without really focusing on the idea that this is a TV show, right? So you have however many episodes. Can you really distinguish episodes two from episodes eight? Theoretically, you should be able to, you know, something like Buffy. Any most of the Whedon shows are great at doing that, where you can in your mind, if I, if I tell you about you know the Hush episode or the musical episode, any of those iconic moments in Buffy that had the monster of the week, but still told these overarching storylines. And in fact, if you think back at just Whedon shows now, a lot of people are going to be saying, "Oh wait, those are really serialized shows like Angel and Buffy." But if you look a little bit closer, you realize it was just a bunch of episodic storylines that had oftentimes some serial element as a runner, but not as its main thread. Right, and exactly like you were saying, often the most successful and beloved episodes of
1: some of those serialized shows are the standalone ones, and now look at the kind of recent resurgence of anthology series like Black Mirror, all that sort of thing, where you do get these self-contained episodes that people can go and talk about and they haven't didn't have to watch 20 hours of television to understand and appreciate.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how that's going to evolve with streaming. I'm skeptical on some level that new Episodic shows can really work on uh, an OTT formula or at least something that can build the traction of your network procedural. You know, if you look at every single successful episodic ish show that's on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon or whatever, those are all things from the past. They're not brand new content that were created just for that OTT. Most of the OTT content that people are talking about is serialized storytelling. So it's gonna be very interesting to see, especially a show that's uh, more on the dramatic scale, if they can pull off that ongoing narrative while still maintaining a very episodic focus and, and juggling those two things. Another Twitter thread that's kind of generated some buzz
1: and discussion that we wanted to cover was the one by Jeff Lieber, who's a longtime TV writer, mostly for drama. And he was basically talking about uh, scheduling of actors, how many episodes they are in in a season and whether that does or does not reflect the audience appreciation of that fact. You know, oh, we cut your favorite actor out of the whole show that's because you hate them or you don't like the audience, et cetera. He's talking about the reality of that.
0: Yeah, I, I think uh, he did this whole thread because people were coming at him for, you know, why are you not showcasing this particular character in this one episode or whatever? And he sort of created this thread to expose the production realities and the scheduling realities of shooting something with actors, especially on an ongoing show with a lot of storylines, something like an ensemble show. You have a lot of pieces that you're juggling with. And so just to give you a taste of what he was writing, he said, Threat for Fans, part of the reason we cut away from the actress or storyline you love is for the good of the actress slash storyline you love. Here's why we shoot 12 hour days, but that's 12 shooting hours and lunch and travel to and from set and hair and makeup. So, really, 12 hour days, more like 14 hours, 15 if things go sideways, we shoot 8 day episodes. So, if the actress or story you love were on screen all the time, that's somewhere near 120 hours of work for each episode. And so, that's a very valid point. Just the fact that hour-wise, you can't just be focused on one single character. Now, with that said, he also uh, slightly talks about, on a narrative scale, we cut away from those storylines to preserve momentum. And I feel like this is something I also bring up uh, when we talk about the the teasers and so forth, just the fact that when you are having a focus on a certain storyline, there's no shame in cutting away at a particular moment. It preserves drama, it preserves momentum, it preserves a certain question about what is going to happen next, that you don't really get if you just focus all the way through to a certain A story, for example. That's kind of why we have ABC story and so forth. Just focusing on one storyline would really undercut a lot of the drama and tension that you're building in an episode of TV. Yeah. And
1: even just on sort of a contractual legal level, actors sign contracts to be series regulars or recurring characters. And in those contracts, it stipulates how many episodes out of the season they are to appear in. It might be nine or 10 out of 13 for a series regular. It might be five or six if they are a recurring character. And so that's basically the amount of time that the production has them for. And if they need them for more episodes than that, they have to get into negotiations on top of that. And these actors want to be working on other projects. They want to go do a movie. They want to do a pilot, all that kind of thing. So just realistically and practically, it's almost impossible to have every single actor for every single episode all the time.
0: Exactly. And some actors are contracted for the day. Some are contracted based on episodes. And sometimes because of uh, different uh, shows being on different schedules, you are on a priority schedule where, for example, one show will retain an actor and give them away or release them, so to speak, away for another uh, shoot. So, for example, if we have a guest star on show A who uh, between seasons became a lead on show B and we really want to bring them back for show A's second season, well, I mean, if they're lead on show B, then show B is going to have to lease them or uh, allow us to use that actor and work around their schedule to be able to guest star on our A show. Or sometimes they can be uh, A-holes and just say, well, actually he's, con- or she is contractually obligated to be the lead on this show. We've paid them a lot of money for that. So they're not going back on your silly A show being a guest star. What are you talking about? You're better than this. Right.
1: Exactly. So the thing to keep in mind here as a fan of television and of these characters is essentially if a character goes missing for Bunch of episodes in a season or doesn't come back from season one or whatever it happens to be, more often than not, that's the actor's own choice and decision about the work that they want to take on rather than the writers saying, oh, we don't like this person anymore. Although, you know, it could be that too. But the vast majority of times, it's some sort of production or scheduling issue rather than a deliberate decision to kill off a character or whatever that happens to be.
0: And on that note, if you have your own TV running questions you would like answered on this podcast, you can always send them to ask at paperteam.co. All right, let's dig into some TV writing news. And at the top of the, this hour, we have to discuss the fact that the WGA NBA 2020 negotiation dates have been revealed, and uh, they are starting as this episode is being released, in fact, because uh, the WGA and MPTP have set dates to start those uh, contract talks, and that date is March 23. Yeah. They were waiting to see what
1: we had to say about it. No. uh, Yeah, that's right. So this is a very momentous thing for the industry every time it comes up, because a lot of you will be familiar with the last time that the writer's strike happened back in 2008 when these issues are problematic or unresolvable, it can grind the entire industry to a halt. So everyone's obviously hoping that these can be productive negotiations and writers can get what they want out of it and come to an agreement with the studios. But there's also a lot of fear-mongering and concern and anxiety from writers and other production workers as to, you know, will this disrupt the industry, especially after the whole agent-writer negotiation, which is still ongoing.
0: Yeah, I mean, the reality is that there is no strike, uh, at least uh, not at this hour. Obviously, things may change, but all this fear-mongering, and uh, all this debate about is there going to be a strike you know, you got to work on the show you're on and then live it day by day and then participate in the guild uh, events and really be aware of what's going on. But just this idea of living in fear of what if there's a strike happening, we're in a state of perpetual fear with everything uh, that's going on. In fact, uh, we're going to talk about the, the virus in a second. But just overall, I feel like personally, there's no need to panic or think about those things. As opposed to just supporting the union that we voted on very recently. So that's even more testament to the fact that these people are in the right place and and doing the right things. In fact, you can look at the pattern of demands that the WGA, both the East and West have released online, and you can see clearly that the things that they want to tackle are mostly improvements in uh, residuals and improvements in protection uh, of uh, riders and so forth. So those are things we should all be fighting for anyway. So I don't see the harm in supporting them. Absolutely. It seems
1: like a pretty standard set of negotiations this year. They just want the usual improvements to healthcare, to payment. And uh, yeah, I guess the big focus this year is streaming residuals, new media companies like Netflix and whatever that have a sort of interesting legal relationship with these agreements because they're negotiated separately from a lot of the uh, other studios. So uh, you know we'll see what happens there. I would not expect to hear anything until literally hours or minutes before the deadline of the thing coming up,
0: because that's just how these negotiations work. So you probably won't have an answer until May 1st yeah exactly which is when the current uh, contract expires May 1st I, I will say that hopefully they do fold in the OTTs I feel like just knowing all the horror stories about not just Netflix but even like Apple service like all the different OTTs have a special regiment going on based on past MBAs and so forth. So hopefully there can be some kind of uniformity, especially considering that these new media platforms are not new. Now, it's been at least a decade since those OTTs have existed, or at least some of them. There's just no reason why it's sort of like this like two-way, two-measures thing where it's like, oh, actually, because you're an OTT and you're not a linear channel, you're going to be dealt with uh, very differently based on this thing or that thing. Uh, I will say, hopefully, we also get a little bit more transparency in terms of numbers. I know that... And this is something I've also tackled based on personal experience. The fact that those OTTs are a bit of a black box is an issue. So I think that's another thing that they're going to be looking at moving forward and just uh, clarifying, especially in terms of the residuals, you know, the fact that they're black box definitely impacts the fact that they can say, oh, wait, only one person saw this or a million subscribers saw this sort of a clarifying and being less opaque overall. Yeah.
1: The only other thing really to note about these negotiations at this point is that the DGA and the AMPTP just finished their negotiations and came to an agreement. So this is both, I guess, a good and a bad thing. It's good because it sets a pattern of demands from which the WGA can say, well, we want at least what they got. And then the bad part of that is that, you know, the DGA in this instance did not choose to, I guess, interact closely with the Writers Guild in terms of what they were demanding. And, and you know, that takes away the possibility for a joint threat of everyone, the DGA of SAG and the WGA standing firm about certain issues and being able to threaten, you know, a strike together if it's something they're not budging on. But we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, I'll, I will mention uh, the one thing that some people seem to bump on, which is the fact that the guild originally demanded that only like signatory companies uh, can negotiate or or rather those with uh, agents franchised by the guild they're sort of like dragging the mptp into the agency fight but realistically the guild members uh, or the you know the guild board has said that they were not really gonna hold uh, the mptp to that demand of let's all connect the dots to the agent thing uh, because these two things are objectively separate and one thing should not impact the other so we'll See how that goes.
1: Right. You don't want to turn both issues into a quagmire. So moving along to the the topic of the hour that you know everyone all over the world has been talking about, which is the coronavirus. We're going to focus on essentially the impact of that on the industry, starting with the fact that South by Southwest was just canceled. This is a really big festival for TV and film. And they made the decision to not go ahead at all after several big people had pulled down.
0: Putting aside all jokes and so forth, I mean this is a huge event that just got canceled, which means a lot of people working seasonally for example Are not going to be able to get paid or at least uh, not going to be able to work. This is sort of like, you know, Comic Con to San Diego. It's a huge event that brings in hundreds of millions of dollars to the city every year and just having it pulled under the city. Obviously, it was all agreed upon on some level, but nonetheless, it's a huge deal to have it canceled. I don't know if Comic Con is going to be canceled. We'll see, or even WonderCon. But uh, the fact that South by Southwest has been canceled is a testament to the gravity of the situation.
1: Yeah I mean I definitely feel bad for anyone who was lucky enough to get their film selected for South by Southwest and we're super excited about it this year and then it gets canceled like I imagine they're not just going to screen all of them next year you just kind of like lose out so I, I feel bad for the creators who were impacted by this as well. So speaking of things that have been affected by this the Emmys TV Academy also just recently announced that they're going to be putting in a new set of precautions at their FYC events and this is usually an event where you you can show up, you can watch a bit of a presentation or an episode, you mingle, you have drinks, you have snacks, and you quite often get to interact with the creators and the actors from the show, whether that's taking selfies, asking questions, just mingling with the audience out there. They've now set these restrictions in place that there will be no audience interaction, whether that's questions or face-to-faces with the people from the show. It's going to be a straight-up presentation, they leave, and you're on your own.
0: Yeah, uh, I personally don't hate it. The Q&A part of any of those events is cringe worthy nine times out of ten, so I don't hate the decision. And uh, honestly, even the the interaction portion, most times it's people wanting someone to read a script. That's kind of a 90% of it. I understand the situation. I feel like we're all sort of in panic mode. Uh, I know that in my room we have about a dozen uh, hand sanitizers lying around the office just to see. Oh, all right, let's uh, let's clean our hands every it's second. Clear gold now. Clear gold. Yeah, it's, it's so valuable. Sure, <laughs> <Not> available anywhere. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe we can bring one uh, to the podcast every time we uh, we say something. We clean mm-hmm. our hands. Oh, maybe we can take a break. We can have a musical break in the middle of the podcast, just cleaning our hands. And uh, <laughs> uh, did you see that uh, Don Oliver episode where he highlighted? I think it was a Taiwanese the song that they made it's sort of like a pop song about oh, no. it washing your hands and it was very catchy That's with like cool. a dance
1: yeah no I mean like as the TV Academy member who attends many of these FYC events I understand why they have to do this I think above just the general threat of anyone spreading it to each other you have these particularly valuable people for the shows and the productions that they're doing. And so these studios and networks and in the insurance side and the safety side of that don't really want to risk them getting sick and threatening the product that they are out there promoting. So I think from a PR perspective and a a risk perspective, it makes sense on their part. I did enjoy being able to go and chat with say the cast of The Good Place or talking to Mike Sure or whatever it happened to be. But let's just all kind of play it safe and wait till this whole thing blows over, go for a pint before the zombies come.
0: I, I just don't think there's any shame in being honest than just saying, hey, if you're feeling under the weather, don't come, right? Like it's the, it's just like American mentality to just say, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. I want to work, right? This is capitalism. I want to work from uh, 7 a.m. until I'm dead. Basically, I understand the system, but realistically we should all relax and say, okay, for the good of the people, for the good of everyone, there's no shame in minimizing our social interactions, right? We're all loners. We're all writers. That's kind of what we're doing, (laughs) right? Alone. And uh, that's basically resetting to that mentality of actually, maybe I should not so today. Uh, I'm going to stay home and uh, work on my script. Yeah, I mean, I think there was also an announcement that uh,
1: CAA had put a ban on all face-to-face meetings with clients, too, and they wanted to do them all over the phone or over Skype as well.
0: And yet, they also want the assistants and the people to still work in the office, which defeats the point of that demand of doing meetings online. So I feel like that's what I'm talking about in the sense of, yeah, on some level, those companies, they want to save face and just saying, oh, actually, let's just uh, Skype for those meetings and not bring the talent, but the lowly assistant, you should definitely be working because otherwise you're not going to get paid.
1: Yeah. That's definitely an issue. And a lot of places don't really give sick days or pay those sick days. So, uh, you know, really contributing to our own problem. I think there've been a number of studies that have shown that offering more sick days and more flexible abilities to take days off and get the care that you need is far better for the bottom line of these companies. Maybe I should go back to Europe and, <laughs> and get sick days there. <laughs> Let's go back to our universal health care in, in our home countries. <laughs> And then just the last little note on that is that not just events in person have been affected, but also movie releases, I guess, because they're worried that people aren't going to be coming out to the theater and getting sick. Notably, the new James Bond film, No Time to Die, has been pushed from April to November. And then another one that I'm sure is very hotly anticipated, My Spy with Dave Bautista, has been just pushed back a month.
0: Yes, uh, I cried many tears when I heard that My Spy (laughs) was pushed back. Uh, I I am excited for the James Bond, so uh, I'm kind of sad to see that. However, realistically it's been a long time if not ever that James Bond movies have not been released in November or thereabouts so the fact that it was initially in April is more so because of all the production issues that that movie has faced which pushed it to April initially instead of November of last year so the fact that it's now back to November really doesn't influence uh, you know my thing of the movie just it's kind of like a natural release it's kind of like a Star Wars uh, outside of uh, December that's just the way it is.
1: Yeah. I also just don't get the strategy of this. It's like, oh, we want to save our movie for later because of the coronavirus. Well, the coronavirus isn't going to be magically cured in a couple of months. They're saying it's going to take a year to year and a half to get vaccines. Dude, stop spoiling the coronavirus. Okay, I've been,
0: <laughs> I need to live through the events. Yeah. First. But
1: what I'm saying is I think it's going to get worse in the short term. And, you know, eventually it will start to kind of, you know, be controlled once they put the right measures into place. So who's to say that November, the coronavirus is going to be so much better that everyone's rushing out to the theater? like I don't know if you can really predict that
0: yeah, it's going to be so much better we're all going to be celebrating by seeing the James Bond movie Exactly. <laughs> exactly right. we
1: all have no time to die from the coronavirus people <laughs>
0: There you go. Well, on that note, before we go, don't forget that we are now on Patreon. So if you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Paper Team via our Patreon page at paperdango slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You'll get access to our paper Patreon podcast cheat sheets. And also, as we mentioned earlier, there's a dedicated Paper tea slot just for our Patreon supporters. So you can get on this at paperdango slash Patreon, and we can keep producing a great show for you like this one every week. So thanks to our listeners for taking the time to tune in. You can get all the show notes for this episode, including all the news article that we mentioned at paperteam.co slash 175. As always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. If you have any thoughts, feedback, or questions about TV writing that you would like answered on this very podcast, you can send them to ask at paperteam.co. And what are we doing next week? Well, we teased it earlier and it is happening. We are sitting down with
1: the heads of all the major TV writing programs once again to get you fresh updates in 2020 for CBS the Walt Disney Writing Program, NBC, and WB.
0: That's right. That's all happening next week.
1: So tune in for that great episode. We'll see you then. See you then.